Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 7, verse 37. And just hold your place there. I'm going to talk for a little bit and then we'll, we'll dive in. So this is the first time actually speaking this message. Um, I tried in the first service. We'll try again this time. <laughs> Happy for second chances. Um, I want to just share a couple things that's on my heart leading up to today. I've mentioned some of these things over the past few months, but I just feel to keep bringing it back up. You know, Towards the end of 2022 into the beginning of 2023, really over the course of the last six months or so, what we did have this period of time, both in our congregation here, and I believe in all across, not just this region, but in America, there was this unusual hunger and thirst that came across the body of Christ. And I do think that it caught most of our attentions. It just felt like services were different felt like church felt a little different. Things felt, I would put it like this. It just felt like we came into a place and God met us every time. And this was even before Asbury and Wilmer, Kentucky broke out. You know, the, there was just this increase of hunger and thirst that had come upon the church, including us here at Life Center. And then Asbury breaks out and then, maybe a dozen or a couple dozen other places besides Asbury have some sort of expression where their normal meetings no longer reflected their normal meetings. Something different was happening, whether it be like in Wilmore, 24 hours a day, or in some churches it was they were started meeting dead, daily or morning, noon, and night. But the Lord began to pour out His Spirit in, in a different way in different places. Um, and so when I began to think about that, and even today and this week as I was preparing for this message and thinking about the moment of time that we're in, it kind of feels like we're in a moment of decision. Both as a church, as the church in America, I feel like we're in a moment of decision where we can go in multiple different directions. And when asking the Lord, like, hey, what, what was going on? I, I felt like one of the ways I described it was we were seeing a, a, a cloud the size of a man's hand become like these storm clouds. And it just felt like the Lord was going to pour out at any moment. We, I felt like we were in a Psalm 63 place where we were, we were hungry and crying out to, to God for the rains. And at any moment, he would pour out. And I like the way John Tyson put it. You know, when, when he was, he actually just, I don't even know if they're still doing it doing a whole sermon series, but he, he said this phrase, God comes where he's wanted. And I think we got to see a glimpse for a couple weeks of God showing up where he wants to show up, but also showing up where he was wanted. And even in our own meetings, in our own places, there was this desire for God, and so God came. And God showed up. And I don't think 
what we went through is the, is the revival maybe we've been praying for in the sense that when we're looking at the, the Hebrides and, and the Welsh revival or Argentina or Toronto or the Great Awakenings, I, I don't quite believe, hey, this was that. But there's a, another pastor named Lee Cummings when he was describing the outpourings and he said it like this, it, it almost felt like we were driving on a road and these outpourings were like the mist that comes and hits the windshield before the rains would come. And I feel like the church, as a church, we're in a moment of decision where we can just turn the wipers on and keep going and kind of just, thanks for the mist, thanks for what you did, and we can just kind of go on with business as usual. Or we can recognize that this was a precursor and we can look and ask God for the rains and ask him for the outpouring. And I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be a year of waiting. I don't know if it's going to be five years. I don't know if it's going to be seven years. But I feel like we're in a moment of decision where we can decide which direction are we going to go in. And also a moment of positioning ourselves because I don't, I think one of the things the Lord was doing as well is he was showing us a sign that he can touch any generation. That no generation is too far gone. And he wanted to give us a taste of what he can do in a generation. But as the people of God, I feel like there's this positioning inside of ourselves and this cry to the Lord that says, God, I don't want you to pass us by. Thank you for what you've done, not just these last six months, or thank you for what you've done in our recent church history. I know many of in this room were alive and around and actively involved in, in the Toronto outpouring. Some in this room were alive and around and actively involved in the Jesus People Movement. We've tasted, some of us have tasted and lived through revival and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see the effect of it. But I'm standing here in 2023 saying, God, I want revival in my day, in my city, in my generation. We appreciate what you've done in generations past, and we thank you for it, but we know there's more. And I was, um, we're going to get to John 7, but I was driving to church two or three weeks ago. I don't remember which Sunday it was. And um, if you remember before Spotify, there was this thing called Apple Music where you had to like, you bought the music first and then kept it on your phone. Yeah. So I wanted to put worship music on. Normally I open Spotify, plug the phone on. And if you have, um, I've done that before, you plug your phone into a Bluetooth speaker or whatever, it sometimes will just play a random song in your iTunes. And so I plugged it in, it just starts playing the house fire song, Come to the River. And so, again, I had kind of no, not quite any expectation for that moment, but just driving to church, and I wanted to listen to some worship music on the way to church. And this song comes on. And as the song starts playing and as they start singing, I just begin to, to weep, which is not my normal when I'm driving. So this was, it was a moment where it caught my attention because these words begin to struck, strike my heart. It was saying, come to the river, all who are thirsty, come and drink. Come to the table, all who are hungry, come and feast. Those who are weary, those who are, are, are heavy, come and drink, come to the river, taste and see. And I just began to weep 
and cry in those moments. And I, and, um, I, I began to have this dialogue with God, and God began to have this dialogue with me. And I just said, Lord, I'm sorry if, if, if I've not been coming. I'm sorry. Oh, someone's playing it. So that's the one right there. You can save it for later. <laughs> but I began to have this moment, this dialogue with the Lord, and I began to realize he wanted to increase my hunger. He wanted to increase my thirst. And now, I, I don't say this in pride, but I have positioned my life in such a way to pursue the presence of God. I know this is my, my job now, but I've only been working here in a year and a half. Before this year and a half, I, I not only would come to church on Sunday, I would, I would be at the midweek prayer. I would be at different services. I would go to conferences. And not that it's, it's about a service, but the point was I had positioned myself in such a way that I was pursuing the presence of God. I wanted to taste of the river. I wanted to, to pour out. I was asking the Lord, increase my hunger, increase my thirst. I want to come to you. I've been asking him to come. But in that car, I realized as much as I was thirsty, the Lord wanted and was able to increase that thirst. And in fact, I think there is this invitation to step into a greater place of hunger and thirst so that we can position ourselves in such a way for what God wants to do. And I want to read this, this passage in John 7. And the, the title of my message today is, Are You Thirsty? Come and Drink. And my hope, my hope is that we as believers, that we, as we come to Jesus thirsty, we come to drink, as we come to him hungry and we come to feast, that when we drink of him and we feast upon him, that the Holy Spirit would come and pour into us like a river that will throw, flow through us, bringing God's glory. And I really, you know, we're going to get into it, but I really believe there is something about approaching him in this season. We're, in, we're doing communion. We're coming to the table of the Lord. We're coming to eat and drink of his blood and his body. There's something about this invitation of the Lord's table. There's something about this invitation to come and drink that the Lord wants to bring to our attention today. It's John 7, verse 37. You can read along with me. It says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, <clears throat> from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, I do want to point something out. Um, as this word glorified here, it means to be lifted up. And so he's, he's talking about Jesus had not yet been lifted up. And later on in John 12, 32, it says, if I, this is Jesus speaking, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So there's this connection in this verse of Jesus inviting them, come, if you're thirsty, come and drink. If you come and drink of me, then the Holy Spirit will come. He will pour out upon you and pour out through you like a river. And in that process, I'll be glorified, meaning I'll be lifted up. So he's connecting these things together. And so I believe we have to associate, especially that in the preaching of the gospel in this context, it means more than just 
a simple lifting up like his name or something like that because we got to con- connect it to where he was going. He was saying that if I be lifted up on the cross and the cross wasn't the only place he was lifted, he was lifted on the cross, he was lifted in the resurrection and he was lifted in the ascension. He actually goes through three liftings, three times where the Lord raises, you know, he's raised up in a physical sense. And even for us today, as we lift Jesus up in the preaching, as we lift you know, the triune God with what we talk about, what we do when we're sharing the gospel, whether it be behind a pulpit or on the streets, we are glorifying his name in what we're saying and what we're doing. Meaning our speech, our action, what we do, what we live is lifting him. It's glorifying him and it's bringing glory to him and bringing glory to the Father. And we need to understand that Jesus, as I just said, lifted up in the cross, lifted up in his resurrection, lifted up in his ascension. He was lifted up not just so that we would be forgiven and have this ticket into heaven, this access to eternal life, though, yes, that is one of the main reasons why, but it's also so that the power of the Holy Spirit could fall upon us to fulfill all the Old Testament promises of the Holy Spirit being poured out, both many different places that we see in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And so he's connecting all of this together that this, and if you remember what Jesus said, it's, it's better that I go to the Father because then the helper will come. And so he understood that part of this lifting up of himself would also then usher in the Holy Spirit to come and the Holy Spirit coming would then fill you so that you would pour out and you pouring out then glorifies him and there's this cyclical thing, this cycle of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that continues to glorify him, which continues to beckon people to come, come to him, drink of him and fill, kind of get, you following me? Yeah, good. And I think part of this too is, is, it's connecting that there's a, this transition. Now I'm referring to the, the, the gospel portion of, of what we're, we're looking at in John 7, of the coming to him for salvation. But there's something that happens from when we're going to the old covenant to the new covenant, which we transition into at the death and resurrection of Jesus, is that he's no longer going to write the laws on tablets of stone, but he would then begin to write them on our hearts. And there would not just be this Holy Spirit coming upon a person like in the Old Covenant. So when we're talking about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're not just talking about him coming upon a Deborah or upon a Samson or on a judge or on a deliverer. But this same Holy Spirit would be able to come not just upon judges, priests, and prophets, but upon all the people of God. And so Jesus, his glorification, his lifting up, his ascension, His resurrection opens the door that now the Holy Spirit doesn't just come on a select few, but the Holy Spirit now becomes available to all. And he wouldn't just come upon you, but he can now come and dwell in you. So Jesus came and died in order that this new covenant with its emphasis upon the Holy Spirit being poured out. And as his Holy Spirit is poured out, in the midst of that, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to his church. And this, this is important to God because we, we bring glory to God by what is done that we cannot do in our human flesh. You and I, we can bring glory to God, not in the things that we can do as any man or woman can do, but we bring glory to God within those things that happen in Jesus' name. 
the things that we do in Jesus' name that a human being cannot do without God. This is the things that bring glory to God. So what does that, what does that mean? For, for us, if we want to live a life that brings him glory, then we have to live a life that is dependent upon him and that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's basically saying to position ourselves to live a life that brings glory to God, we are in need of the Holy Spirit. We are in need of him, his works, and his gifts. Why? Not so that we can look cool or do amazing things, but by receiving of the Holy Spirit and moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that come with him, he comes with his gifts, we bring him glory when we act on those things. And the Father wants the Son to be glorified, and the Son wants the Father to be glorified, and he wants it to happen because of the fruit that we would bear by the deeds that we would do. This is the invitation of John 7 when he says, are you thirsty? Come and drink. And I think sometimes we don't even know what we're getting into when we come to him. But there is a whole journey of power, of love, this invitation of partnership with the Lord that when we come to him and he pours out and he fills us, we then have opportunity to do just as Jesus did. Jesus did only what he saw the Father doing, only said what he heard the Father saying, and he did it to bring glory to his Father. And he invites us to do the same, to bring glory to God. Okay, that was a really long intro for John 7. All right, John 7, that's just the introduction, all right? John 7, all right. All who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And so a question I've been asking myself, and the question I'm asking you today, is anyone thirsty? Are you thirsty? Now, my, my, my answer to that is yes, too. But as I shared with you in my story with the cards, it's, I, I, I was thirsty, and the Lord wanted to increase that. And I believe for you guys today, for those who know, and you, you could say, yes, I am thirsty, I believe there's an increase that comes to that thirst and that hunger. And for those who you'd say, you know what? I don't quite know, Rich, if I'm hungry. I don't quite know, Rich, if I'm thirsty or it's just been a long time. I'm not really sure what that, that looks like. I feel like there is grace today to step into that. And I want to talk about this, uh, this verse 37, right? Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as I said, this... Well, I'll put it this way. My prayer for you is not just at the end of this message, but in this season of your life, that you will become so thirsty, that you'll become so hungry, so desperate for God, that you'll end up being those people or that person who believes by faith that you are going to drink. Now, what do I mean by that? I feel like for us, there is this fluency, or, or I would say, I don't want to say fluency, I would say more of we, we can understand what it means to be hungry and thirsty for God. But this other part, he says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. And I think sometimes there's this missing element of what to do with this thirst or really this not knowing how to drink or entering into this, this, this act of drinking the Lord. And it can sound mysterious, but I'll just make it really simple. Think about drinking water take the cup of water, you take the water bottle, you lift it up to your lips, take the sip, and you take the gulp, and then it just comes inside of you. So when we're talking about this 
coming and drinking. It's simply this coming before the presence of the Lord and letting him fill you. Letting him pour into you. Letting him touch you in such a way that he can satisfy the thirst and the hunger of your heart. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been like naturally thirsty and you go to take a sip and you just think you're going to take a sip, but then you end up drinking like the whole water bottle just like that? Like those moments in the morning where you're just like, <gasps> just running. I feel like there's, there's moments like that even in the spiritual where we, we have come for, for a drink of God and the Lord just comes, meets us, and then we get completely undone. And what I mean by that is sometimes we don't even realize how thirsty we are until the Lord first gives us a drink. It's like in that moment when you take the water and you're like, no, that sip wasn't enough. I'm going to go to the water cooler. I'm going to refill it and I'm going to take another drink. And you just, you didn't realize that you just had not been drinking enough water that day. And I feel like there is these moments in, in our walk with God where we, we don't realize that we've become parched. We've become dry. We're like what the psalmist says. We're like those in a dry and weary land. We are yearning. We're longing for a drink. And in John 7, when we find Jesus here saying this, it says, if we would have read verse 2, John 7, verse 2, we would have saw that it was in the time of the Feast of the Tabernacle. Uh, and in the Jewish culture and, and still today, there's, there's three important feasts in the year where attendance was mandatory. There's other feasts, but there was three feasts where you were mandated to attend. Many of us would know about Passover. I mean, we're talking about having a Passover Seder together. And that, that meal at Passover was a memorial feast and it would symbolize and remind them, but it was even more than a reminder. I spoke about this here. They were entering into the moment in remembrance, but in connection to Jesus or to, to God delivering the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians. And in that feast, there's many uh, things that represent things. The salty water would remind them of the tears, the pasty dish to remind them of the mortar between the bricks and the rocks and so on. So that's, that's one of them. But another one of the feasts is the, the Feast of Tabernacle. So John 7, we find them the Feast of Tabernacle. The Feast of Tabernacle is reminding them of the hardships their father endured during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so just want to give you a little context. So we find them in John 7 that this is the eighth day of the feast. The feast would run eight days. It would start on a Sabbath. It would end on a Sabbath. And they would gather together for these eight days. Um, they would build these temporary sheds or little tent-like structures besides their home during those eight days of the feast. And the family would actually live in that shed. They wouldn't stay in their home. They would live in that shed, that little tent thing. Growing up um, next to my parents' house was the, the temple's house, the, their parsonage. So the rabbi lived there. And so every year around the Feast of the Tabernacles, I would watch, depending on who the rabbi was, sometimes it would be like a Costco tent. They just put up, and then other people, they would take the wood, and they would build it, and they would put, like, the, the stuff, and they would create the structure. They did not sleep outside, um, but they would go and have all their meals out there. And so this, this is what they were doing. This is still what, what the, the Jewish people do to this day. They are pitching these tents, these sheds, and here in the scripture, they were living in those for eight days to remember the 40 years that they lived outside in, in the wilderness. Um, and then at the Temple Mount, the priest would daily make a solemn procession, a whole line of them, down to the Pool of Siloam with water jugs on their shoulders. 
And they would come up the many steps to the Temple Mount and pour the water onto the pavement to symbolize the water that God provided out of the rock. And this you can read in Exodus 17. If you want to you know, jot that down, you can read that later for those that are interested. And so we find them here on the eighth day. On the eighth day, they would not have actually, a Sabbath day, they would not have gone down to the water. So they would just remember, they would have this time of remembrance, and they would have this moment of silence as they were remembering. Now, some theologians believe that it was in this moment of silence that Jesus, as they were sitting, that Jesus would then stand up on the Temple Mount, and he would make this proclamation out loud, this declaration, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Now you have to remember, um, because it was a special Sabbath and they did not make that possession of the water, they're still acknowledging in that moment that God had kept his promise and had brought them into the, the land that was well watered. So in this, you know, in the seven days, they're bringing up the water, they're pouring it out, they're remembering the water that came from the rock. And on the eighth day, they're resting and they're remembering we, don't know, we no longer need the water from the rock because now he's brought us to the land of water and the land of milk and honey. And in that day of remembrance, Jesus stands up and he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Now, side note, you guys with me? Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, we see Paul talking about this as well. Um, Verse one of 1 Corinthians 10, it says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So here, Jesus, the rock from which the water of life flowed to their fathers in the wilderness, stands before them and cries out, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, as we see in Corinthians, Jesus is not referring to the natural thirst that the Jewish people would be thinking of. The Jewish people, in their mind, they are thinking of in these eight days, God quenched our physical thirst. He provided for us physically. But now Jesus is making an announcement into the new covenant, into a new way. We're saying, okay, now I want to speak to your heart. If you're thirsty... Come and drink. Yeah, you might be living. God has delivered you to, out of the wilderness. You are no longer in the wilderness. They had water. They just got it from the pool of Siloam. They got the milk. They got the honey. But now he's speaking to the spiritual matters and he's making a declaration. If anyone is thirsty, come to me. And out of your belly, out of your heart, not out of this rock, will flow rivers of living water. I want to talk about a couple things here. We as physical beings, we're, we're threefold. We're sort of, a, of an inferior trinity, right? We're not, we're not Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we are made of, of, of a threefold reality. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. And we're so integrated in that it's next to impossible to separate the three parts, right? I've never seen someone walking around with their body, soul, and spirit, right? It's always all in one. And if you see people, we'll pray for you. pray for your eyes but one thing I do know is that whatever affects me physically will affect me emotionally and will affect me spiritually whatever affects me emotionally will affect me physically and will affect me spiritually and whatever affects me spiritually will affect me emotionally and it will affect me physically 
And so there is importance and value of striving to be whole, body, soul, and spirit. Okay? So the Bible tells us that, that the word of God is able to discern between the soul and the spirit. And many people have had great emotional experiences that they have interpreted as spiritual experiences. But sometimes a person will have a great spiritual experience that others will interpret only as an emotional experience. But when Jesus said, if any man thirsts, he was speaking of the spiritual thirst that every man has for God. Whether you know him or whether you don't, there is something in the inside of every person that is created that has a thirst for God. Now, they don't quite know who they're looking for. And as we see in Isaiah, come, where he says, come to me, buy wine, come to me, buy milk, for why do you spend money on what does not satisfy? Before Christ, we would spend the effort and the money of our soul looking to satisfy the thirst. Because the reality is this, we're, we're going to quench our thirst with something. But the Lord is inviting us, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I think of Psalm 42, verse 1, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And honestly, we see here, both in John 7 and in Psalm 42, the simplest of the gospel presentation that Jesus is calling to those whose spirit is thirsting after a relationship with God and saying, come to me and drink. I can satisfy your thirst. But I do believe even as, as believers, he continues to cry out and he calls to us today, to me, to you. And he says, are you thirsty? I can still satisfy your thirst. As we said before in the ascension, it wasn't just for our, our, his death and resurrection. It wasn't just for our salvation. It was so that we could have an ongoing relationship, this ongoing infilling with the Holy Spirit. There is this invitation to continue to drink of him, not just the cup of salvation, but the cup of refreshing, the cup of infilling. I feel like he's still saying to us, I am the rock on which you can build your house. I am the rock that will quench your thirst. Come to me and drink. They were thirsty in the wilderness and they asked for water. The early church was thirsty for the Holy Spirit that he promised. And so they waited in the upper room and he poured out. Are we thirsty today? 1 Corinthians 12 continues to talk about this topic of, of drinking. Specifically in verse 13, we read, For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. So now we've all been given the spirit when we were placed in Christ. When we came to know Christ, we were baptized by the spirit into Christ. But we were also given the Holy Spirit to drink. This is so interesting. This is what I was uh, making reference to before. Sometimes I feel like we, we pass over these things. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. We're all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, and we were all given that one spirit to drink. And both that John 7 
Well, let me read one more verse. Revelation 21, verse six says, he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. I'll read it again. It is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. I want to say a couple things here. One, again, this question, have we been drinking? We've received the Holy Spirit, but have we continued to drink of him? We've received Christ, but have we continued to drink of him? Sometimes we think everything is on God's end, not really realizing that he has already made everything possible and available to us in Jesus. And sometimes it's just our thirst and our faith to step towards him and take a drink. In John 7 and Revelation 21, there's only one condition that pertains to our drinking and the giving of the spirit to drink. And it's not qualification, it's not education, it's not status or a role or a symbol. The one condition to drink of him is thirst. And I hope today to create a thirst in you and me. And like me, maybe you're thinking, I'm thirsty. I'm already thirsty, Rich. I'm already hungry. And and I am. But I want the Holy Spirit to work to create such a greater thirst in us by the vision that he gives us for what he wants to do through us. You know, I spoke the message this morning and Juliana spoke to me afterwards and and she brought up this, this topic, which is so true. We learned it in renewal. You know, a lot of times we think the only way to drink, right, is this uh, coming and, and waiting and receiving. And that is a way to drink of the Lord and to receive of the Lord. One of the ways we discovered during the Toronto outpouring is the more we pour out, the more he pours into us. And even in that John 7 reality, when he says, come to me, all you are thirsty, come and drink. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. He's showing us this model that when you drink, you're going to naturally pour out. But there's this connection. When you pour out, you make room for more of him to come. In fact, I remember in the early years when, when we were first ministering, I, w- I was young. So I saw the early years. I'm not old. Though. I'm 33. But when I was a little bit younger... And first learning how to minister, I learned how to minister in that culture of, of this, this movement of the Holy Spirit. And what they taught us and what I learned was, you know, there'd be an altar call and I would want to just jump on, on the line to receive. But as leaders, they, they would need us to come and pray. But what I discovered is as I was praying for the people, I would receive of the very thing I was praying for. So I say to say this, sometimes just being in the room puts you at risk. I say that to say this, maybe you don't know how to drink, you think you don't know how to drink, but really you do. Sometimes it's just realizing what you've already been doing will just almost in a way turn the light switch on for you. And just realizing, oh, I have already positioned myself to drink and I, I've been drinking and I may not even recognize what, what it is that I'm doing. I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of, of language here. Does this kind of make sense? I do believe that the Lord will give to us according to our thirst and according to our faith. And that's why I'm praying for an increase in thirst. And that's why I'm praying for an increase of faith in my life because I know he responds to that. I know the scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God, bring glory to him. Without this belief, without this thirst, 
without this hunger. In 2 Kings 4, we're not going to read it, I'll just make mention to it. 2 Kings 4, we find this widow, and she has a son. And she yells out to Elisha, basically telling him, hey, we have no more oil. Like, do something. Do something. And so Elisha tells her, he said, here's what you're going to do. Go to all your neighbors and go into your house, you and your son, and get all the jars that you have. Once you have all the jars you have in your house, now go to your neighbors, ask them for jars. Ask them for jars. Okay, they go, they do it, gather all the jars. Now he says, okay, put the jars in, we'll close the door, we're gonna pray. And we see in the scripture that as they prayed, the jars were filled with oil. But the, the scripture says that when the last jar was filled, then the oil stopped. Now, I don't even know if she got 10 jars, she got 10 jar, jars of oil. If she got 20 empty jars, she would have ended up with 20 jars of oil. If she got 100, she would have ended up with 100. Doesn't tell us how many, but the point is this. How many parts of ourselves are we willing to bring before God so that he can fill it? If you only bring to him a couple jars, he will be faithful to fill that. But if you bring to him everything, he will fill it all. He's going to respond to your faith. He's going to respond to what you bring before him. But sometimes we get into this rut of Christian routine where we come to the Sunday morning and we just want to give him the Sunday jar. I'll give you two hours on a Sunday. Unless you came to first service, I'll give you an hour on a Sunday. <laughs> so you come to both services, but that's... And the point I'm making is nothing about how many hours that you do. We're not measuring by the practical. We're measuring by the spiritual. But I'm challenging us today. Where is your hunger level? Where is your thirst level? How many jars are you willing to go get so that the Lord would come and fill? Are you in a desperate enough place where you're willing to forsake it all so that he would come and fill all of you? Or maybe some of you... It's been a long time since you've had an infilling of the Holy Spirit, since he's come and he's filled you up. You know, I've been through seasons in my life where it feels like I've been on a downward spiral. And I don't mean with like sin or anything like that. I just mean in my experience with God. You see, our faith and our doctrine are usually at the same level, meaning this, if whatever I, I study and I learn to believe doctrinally true about God, about myself, I can have faith to believe and enter into those things because I understand and believe them to be true. Does that make sense? So my faith level and my doctrine level many times are in the same place. But there's this reality of experience that can also dictate where my faith and my belief end up. You see, if my level of experience starts to get below what I believe is available to me, 
then I'll start to expect less to happen. And if I start to expect less to happen, then I will experience less. And then if I experience less, then I will expect less. And if I expect less, then I'll experience less. And you kind of follow this down. And I've been in seasons in my life where it just feels like, oh my gosh, Lord, where am I? I am in a desert. I am in a dry place. I don't know how I got here because I used to live at the riverbank. And now I've ended up in, how did I get here? And do you know how I, you know, then the question is, how do you get out of that downward spiral? One of the ways I've learned to do it is get into a place or around people who are experiencing an open heaven. And that takes a little humility, right? Because I have to step outside of how I feel in this moment. I feel like I'm in a desert. And I have to choose to get around the person that feels like they're, they're throwing a whole party. And sometimes it feels like you're the person who's going to the party that you weren't invited to and you feel like you're walking in on someone else's party. You ever, you ever get invited to a party with a friend that you weren't invited, they were invited, but they said, come, come with me. And then you get there and you're kind of like, I don't feel, this is just not comfortable. Like, you're like, I'm here because you wanted me to come, but I don't really know what I'm doing here. I don't know these people. They're all laughing. Like, I, I, you feel like you've walked in on someone else's party. And you can actually feel completely alone in a room filled with people. It can be just like that in our spiritual life, surrounded by believers. We can come into a place and we can feel completely isolated and alone. But I want to challenge you, don't stay in that place. Get around people who are experiencing an open heaven. Get around people whose experience is higher than your experience. And it won't be long before their experiences become your experiences. It won't be long before their revelations become your revelations. Maybe you're here and you're like, Rich, you keep saying, come and drink. I don't know how to do it. Just spend time with people that know how to drink. Because I can give you, like I'm giving you now, I'm giving you uh, language and Bible and understanding. But I can't talk to you and give you experience. I can invite you into one. I can tell you, follow me as I follow Christ. Come sit with me during worship. Come sit with me during the word. Come stand with me during ministry time. Just be around me. And I have found in my life in those seasons where I have felt spiritually dry, I have a decision to make. I could stay in this place or I can get up out of that place and get around people who are experiencing the thing that I want to, that are experiencing God in a way that I want to experience Him. And in my uncomfortability, where I'm feeling like I'm walking in on someone else's party, I can choose to not become content with the barrenness of my soul. See, when you become content with barrenness, then even the areas where you want God to move, He won't be able to move. I mean, he can do it sovereignly. Uh, hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. He can do it sovereignly. He can come and do whatever he wants, but he's waiting for interaction for us. And so when you become content to just do the Sunday morning thing or the, the, the normal Christianity thing where you're just checking off, off a box and just doing the routine and you're just going through the motions, and I, just, I go to church because I'm Christian and I believe in God, uh, and I give the tithe because that's what we're supposed, and we're just doing what we're supposed to do because we're supposed to do it, because we know we're supposed to do it, but we've stopped engaging in the relational aspect of the encounter and the experience of 
if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And then out of your belly shall throw, flow rivers of living water. It's, it's the picture of life. See, some of us have a name that we're alive, but we're dead on the inside. And God wants to bring resurrection life to that area. He wants to bring a hunger and a thirst back inside of us to taste and see that he's good. And when you taste and see that he's good, you'll realize just how parched you were. Just how starving you were. And the beautiful thing in the kingdom is it's not like the natural. The natural, you drink, you eat, and you become full. In the kingdom, you eat and you drink, and then all of a sudden there's this desire for more. It's a little, um, I will say for some of us who love to eat. (laughs) You know when you get your favorite food and you eat and you're full, but there's still room for dessert? It's kind of like that. It's kind of like this reality where, which we could be getting into gluttony, so we don't want to go into the whole thing. But it's this, this reality where you begin to feast on him and you realize you cannot live without this. When he was speaking to them in John 7, he was speaking to these people who were caught up in a religious system. They were doing the Feast of the Tabernacle just to check off the box. They were pouring the water on the ground just to say, you did it, God. They rested on the eighth day that said, you brought us, God, just because they were ready for the ninth day to just go about their business. But God, Jesus, shows up and he interrupts their routine. He shows up and he interrupts and he confronts the religious structure of the day and he does something because, I don't know if you know, but part of the Feast of Tabernacle was not on the eighth day to then announce, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. He's inviting them into something new, revolutionary. He's trying to tell them the rock that you're remembering is standing right in front of you. The rock that you are acting out as a play, as a movie, as a commercial, you're living in the movie right now. You're not just remembering your forefathers who experienced God. You have an opportunity right now to experience the same God that your forefathers experienced. He's standing right in front of you. Some of them wouldn't have eyes to see, but some did. There's actually three, there's probably more, but there's three places in the Bible where you are guaranteed that God will touch you. We don't know when, but we know it's guaranteed. Meaning, you don't always know the timing, but you know that he will. And if I can the worship team come up. The first place I want to highlight, the scripture says that anyone who came to him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit He never once would overlook that one. If you're here today and maybe you're I'll say it this way. I'm not talking about people that are like, well, I'm here. Let me me just check this out and see what's going on. 
But if you're here today and you're in a desperate place and you're saying, no, Lord, I'm broken and I'm coming before you broken, I'm coming before you contrite. What's contrite? This feeling of regret, this feeling of guilt. Know this, he's not gonna overlook you. Second thing, in the gospels, everyone that was hungry and everyone that was thirsty gets filled. Every time. So if you're here today and you're hungry and you're thirsty, he wants to fill you. And the third thing, and this is probably one of the most common ways, that all throughout the gospel, anytime someone came to him out of desperation, they had an impossible need. Who was dying? Who was demon-possessed? Who was sick in body? Who was lame? who was without money, who fill in the blank. Every time they came to him desperate, though his disciples might shush them, though the crowds might stay away from them, though the people would tell them they were out of order, there was this desperate thing inside of them that forsook the culture of the day and the resistance of the earth in earthly ways. And they reached out to grab a hold. They called out to get his attention. They looked to him. They asked of him. And every time someone came with that desperation, he met them. He filled them. Some of us are desperate and we don't even know it. Some of us have made peace with barrenness for so long that we have become comfortable in our emptiness. And we have become so used to not having the Holy Spirit in our hearts for so long that that place has become our peace and we don't even know it. The Prince of Peace wants to come. He wants to fill you. He wants to reawaken a thirst and a hunger inside of you. He wants to meet you where you are. But I want to tell you something. He's not looking for a a one-night encounter. He's not looking for a one-night stand. He's looking for an ongoing relationship of this ongoing infilling and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I promise you I'm almost done. I, I know I'm over time. In John 7, we see the result of coming to Jesus and drinking is this response where he says, he believes in me. As the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Perhaps Jesus was referring to the scripture in Isaiah 44, verse three, where it says, I will pour out water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. Or maybe he was referencing Isaiah 58 and verse 11, where it says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose water does not fail. But in that language of John 7, in the Greek, it it actually says in a more intense way. It says, out of his innermost being, will we'll gush torrents of living water. 
So the picture here is not this gentle river flowing. It's actually the same word to describe the Jordan, which was an intense, fast-paced river. It's as if this would be a a torrent or a a flowing of a river that would cascade down a mountain like a waterfall off of a canyon. This is the type of dramatic picture that Jesus was describing to them that if you come to me and drink, I will pour this type of of waterfall, this type of rushing torrent of water will flow in you and through you. It wasn't this tied up with a bow, safe Christianity that we sometimes think we got invited into. He invites us to drink and to dive into the river that is a torrent. I love what Bill Johnson says. He's, he's in you like a river, not a lake. He pours into you so that you'll pour out. But it's not this gentle stream. It's not this trickle. It's like the Ezekiel River that might start at the ankles. It might go to the knees. It might go to the waist. But it comes a, a river so deep, one must swim to get across. It's a type of river that's all-encompassing. It's a type of river that purifies. It's a type of river that takes you out of where you are and brings you where you need to be. It's this type of come to me and drink that the Lord invites us to so that he can bring us to where we need to be and where we need to go. It's this type of outpouring that delivers you and sets you free from the years of barrenness and torment and heaviness. And I love John adds a little bit of his commentary. Because he says, he's writing this years later after this happened with Jesus. He says, but this he spoke of, of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive. And I want us to look at our life today and honestly consider, is the Holy Spirit gushing out of us? Is the Holy Spirit going forth out of your life like a torrent of living water? Is your life so filled with the Spirit that there's an overflow? Is the Spirit trickling out of your life or is it gushing? And I would like to suggest to us, if if you don't have this mighty overflow of the Spirit from your life, then I would like to suggest that maybe God has something different for you. Maybe He has something more for you. And I would encourage you to seek after it. And what I've been praying over myself is Psalm 63. As I position myself in this season, realizing I thought I was thirsty, but no, the Holy Spirit is not gushing out of me the way God wants him to. I thought I was hungry, but no, I'm not experiencing the fullness of what God wants me to experience. And as we're thinking of Asbury, we're thinking of these outpourings and we think back, you know, we've learned the ways of the Holy Spirit. We've learned the ebbs and flows of God. I pray oftentimes for myself and for others. I might have prayed it over you. I'll declare deep calls unto deep at the sound of your waterfall. All your waves and your breakers, they come and they crash over me. And I'll pray over you. I'll pray over myself. I say, God, I stand on the shoreline of your love. And just because I need this mental picture to help me, just as I would stand on the beach. And as we know, we stand on the beach and the waves will come. And the wave hits you. And you get wet with the water, but then 
the water will go back out and it'll recede to the ankles and then it'll come back and it'll hit you again. And there's these ebbs and flows as the psalmist talks of the waves and the breakers of God where he comes and he crashes over you. Listen, he crashed over us like a wave these past few months. And I do believe we're in a moment where the water has receded, but he's looking for those who will stay on the shoreline and position themselves for another wave. He's looking for a church that's saying, okay, God, we see the mist that was on the windshield, but we know it's a sign that the torrential downpours are coming. He's looking for a people who are hearing the cry and the invitation that says, come to me and I will fill you. And out of your bellies, he's looking for ones who are going to wait and drink and wait for the out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. It's a position of the heart. It's a position of the soul. It's a position of the body. Will you stand with me? Psalm 63. Just put your hands out. I want to read this psalm over you. Just close your eyes. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. His loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate, meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him sh shall glory. I want you to picture the language of this psalm. There's thirst. Early will I seek you when we first rise in the morning. In a dry and thirsty land, our flesh longs for you. We look for you in the sanctuary. We come into this place looking for God. We're looking for him in our bed. We're looking for him in the church, in the sanctuary. And we won't be satisfied unless it's of the marrow, the fatness, the meat of him and his word. He said in verse 6, I remember you on my bed and I meditate in the night watches. It's day and night. It's in and out. Father, we thank you for this invitation to drink of you, both in the, this space and out of this space, in the day and in the night. Lord, we are thirsty. We are hungry. We are longing as in a dry and weary land. We are longing for the latter rain. We are waiting for the outpouring, for the infilling. And maybe you're here today and you're, as what I was describing before, maybe you have felt barren, you have felt dry. It's been a long time since you've had a drink. We want to pray with you. But have the ministry team come up. We hope you enjoyed the message. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.